right. Good morning, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Those of you watching online want to say it's great to have you joining us. There are sermon notes today in the lobby. They are also available on the app or our Facebook page if you want to follow along. We're going to cover a lot of territory today. And as you're getting ready in your Bibles, and we'll dismiss our children in a minute, I just want to give a couple praises. We have a new baby in the church. Blaine and Anna Ogle gave birth to a sweet boy. We have that picture coming up. Yeah, check that out. And I want to now worship through giving, so you can give electronically in a number of different ways. There are offering boxes as you leave today, but we want to make it as easy as possible, especially during this time of COVID. Uh, You can even text to give now, but let's be faithful in our tithes and offerings. And uh, a couple other praises. One of our new Fresh Wind guys got saved this week. We had 42 present at the reopening of Celebrate Recovery Friday night. So that'll be every Friday now. Continue to make progress on the Generations Project. If you guys get a chance, make sure you look at the playground today. And if you can give above and beyond your regular ties to the general fund, the, general, the Generations Project needs about $80,000 more to complete that entire renovation. So we're excited about that. This Wednesday starts back our Wednesday night programs, as you saw in the video. And children's ministry started back today. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. So a lot of good things happening here, you guys. And so children ages three years through fifth grade that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed at this time out the front with Miss Kathy and her team. Three years through fifth grade. Again, children are more than welcome to stay in the service. All right, we're going to do something a little different for our scripture reading today. Primarily because I didn't want to have to pronounce all these names. Uh, But we're going to just listen to the word portion of Romans 16 that I'll be preaching today. Going to play it on my YouVersion app. So why don't we stand in honor of God's word and just listen as the word is read out of the ESV. Maybe not even follow along in your Bible as much as just listen And listen to all of these names, all of these people that were near and dear to Paul. ...that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephina and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, 
and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that this is just as inspired as John 3.16. (laughs) That there's nothing that you didn't do haphazardly when you anointed your word. God, I pray now as we look at this amazing organism called the church, I pray that where we need our perspective altered, you would bring correction so that we might love what you love and that we might be a people that help this local church become a pure, holy, vibrant, intimate bride of Jesus. So God, I thank you for each person here, those watching online. We ask now that you'd anoint this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that stands out to me as I look at this section of Romans 16, which is one of those that could easily be kind of bypassed or skimmed over when you read Scripture, but when you really begin to meditate on this, it it hit me how much Paul was intimately connected with the church. Five times in Romans 16, the word church is used, ecclesia. You see a number of names and, and functions and and, and people that had done various things within Paul's ministry or a local church that he mentions here. And it shows that he, he was deeply relationally connected to people. He loved these people. He had a shepherd's heart. And many of these people had risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. And he's wanting to affirm them and encourage them. And today, I thought it was a great opportunity to put this organism called the church under the microscope a little bit. Because we live in a day in which many people view the local church as an option in their Christian life. You have what I call PJ Christianity today, where people just stay in their pajamas on Sunday and and go from one church to another and one favorite preacher to another favorite worship and, and what's the latest, hottest thing. Now listen, if you are inhibited from being here, my wife is one of those. She has an autoimmune issue. She's only been back one time since we regathered. If you have a legitimate issue that keeps you from coming right now because of COVID, you're not the kind of person I'm talking to today. There's tons of grace there. You come back when you're ready. Uh, Don't do anything that, that you would not feel comfortable with. I'm addressing people today, though, that have tended before COVID, and COVID just magnifies it, to treat the local churches like an option. Many people, unfortunately, have been hurt by the local church. They've been bruised by Christians or spiritually abused by a leader or a pastor Many have brokenness and pain because of of a bad experience in a local church. And so they've had a tendency to just check out and say, you know, I love Jesus, but I really don't care for this thing called the church. And if that's you today, I pray that God speaks to you and that God might begin the process of healing today. Because we're going to talk about how the church is, in many cases, unfortunately, it's like watching a college football game on Saturday. You have thousands of people in the stands that are in desperate need of exercise, Hello. And you got a small group on the field desperately in need of rest. (laughs) 
And, and how many times you have people who are spectator Christians. They observe and criticize from a distance. Easy for the guy in the stands to say, well, if Jake Fromm had just done this, we would have got a first down. Yeah, well, why don't you get on the field and try that and see how easy it is? <laughs> you see? And, and, and the spectator Christians are those who love to criticize and love to say, well, the church ought to do this, or I wish they sang my favorite hymn every Sunday, or whatever. And they stay distant and uninvolved when you've got 10% doing 90% of the work. And that causes burnout and frustration. What I pray God does today is he helps us see the church the way he does. And that if, if he loves it, we will love it. Despite her faults, despite the wrinkles in her garment, despite the fact that his bride has stained clothing and she's imperfect. And guess what? If you find the perfect church, don't join. She won't be perfect anymore. Because <laughs> you're in it. <laughs> and you're not perfect. And neither am I. So I tell you right now, Living Hope is not the perfect church because it's pastored by a very imperfect pastor. But what we want to do today is answer three questions. Why the local church? What's the biblical basis? Or is this just something man came up with? Is just this, this man's, you know, I don't believe, you know, people that, that talk about, you know, I don't believe in the, it's just a man-made organization. Really? Well, we'll look at that. We'll answer that question, and we're going to have Q&A today, so get ready. What, what, why the church? What is a legitimate biblical New Testament church today? That's an important question, because you're going to have people knocking at your door, talking about the 144,000, you know who I'm talking about. Are they a legitimate church? What about the one that comes and says, oh, we have another book written by Joseph Smith? Come on. Is that a legitimate church? Well, we'll, we'll look at that too. And then finally, we'll talk about what, what should we do in response to this. So let's dive in. Why the church? Number one, God ordained the church. God ordained this thing called the church. It's his idea. <laughs> it's not mine. It's not yours. It's his idea. It's his church. He's the one who, who planned this. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I love this. It says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a statement by Jesus. He's the head of the church. It's his idea. It's his people. And so the, the, the meaning of the word church, it's the Greek word ekklesia. It literally means the called out ones. It's the community of God's people. Ekklesia. Ek, out, klesia, kaleo, called out. We're called out of sin. We're called out of the kingdom of darkness. We're called out of living for self. We're called into forgiveness. We're called into righteousness. We're called into the community of God's people. So when you get saved, you come into a relationship with God. But guess what? It's not just that. You're placed into the body of Christ. Like it or not, you're a part of the church. Now, when we talk about the church, it's important we talk about big C, little c church. Big C Church is the invisible church. It's the church universal. It's Christians of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. The little C Church is the local assembly like we have here. Okay? So every Christian is a part of the Big C Church, but unfortunately not every Christian is a part of a local church, but they should be if they're going to be part of God's plan. And so it really boils down to this idea of community. We are called into community. And God, in his very essence, is a communal God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a community within the Trinity. And then when God established the nation of Israel as his people, his community, he, he, he called a people together. And through Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
And then within that big C, Israel, you have the 12 tribes, little c, church, so to speak. And by the way, the book of Acts refers to Israel as church in a, very, in a passage. Interesting, look that up. Then you have Jesus, and he had his 12 disciples, a community of believers that he poured into. And then Jesus died and rose again and ascended, and he established the church that we read about in the book of Acts. And that was in a, a group of people that met from in the temple and house to house. They had a big gathering, the temple worship like we're doing today, and then they had small groups, house-to-house gatherings where they could become more intimate and connected. But it's all about community. And then you have the New Testament, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Pergamum. In Revelation, you have the seven letters to the seven churches. Those were local bodies. And whose idea was all of this? It was God. This isn't something man came up with. It's God's church. Number two, Jesus died for the church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says that the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Beloved, the way you determine something's value is how much it costs and how long it lasts. A go-kart is not as valuable as a Mercedes-Benz. It doesn't cost as much and it doesn't last as long. The church was purchased with the blood of God. Jesus purchased the church, you and me, with his blood. He shed his blood to purchase us, to buy us out of slavery, and and to buy us out of the kingdom of darkness, and to forgive us and reconcile us and make us his people. And we will last how long? Forever. So we were bought with the blood of God, and we will last forever. The church is a valuable organism. Now, when you think about the church... You also have to realize that, like I said earlier, she has her many faults. In Ephesians 5, the passage that I read for Alex and Anna's wedding just three weeks ago, right? Are y'all three weeks? Three weeks, newlyweds. So, Anna, I asked him this morning, this is public, so, I mean, it's going out there. I said, hey, brother, from one to ten, how is it? He said, eight and a half. I'm like, whoa, that's good, man. I like that. That's pretty good. I've had some come back from their honeymoon. They say it's about a four. Ooh, we got problems. We've got to get back in the counseling office. But at their wedding, they chose Ephesians 5. And it's, all, it's this great passage about husbands, wives, da-da-da. And then it says, but I'm really talking about the church, the bride of Christ. And he says that he wants her, his bride to be without spot or wrinkle. He wants a pure and a holy bride. Are we there yet? No. Are we getting there? I pray we are. And you know, I don't want to be a person that criticizes from the grandstands. I want to be a person who says, I'm going to get on the field. I'm going to get my hands dirty and I'm going to sweat because I want to make this bride as good as she can be for the glory of God. Amen? Number three, the Holy Spirit works through the church. In other words, the church is God's instrument to accomplish his work in the world. Now, God could bypass us and do his work without us. He's self-sufficient. He needs no one. And he does at times. He gives Muslims dreams and visions about Jesus to draw them to Christ. Nobody ever witnessed to them, but that's not the normal way he works. The normal way he works is through his people, you and me. So God, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty, established this this crazy thing called a head and a body. I mean, I don't understand it, but it's really cool when you start getting in touch with it. it. Jesus is the head of the church. 
The minute you get saved, you become a part of the body of Christ. Some are a hand, some are an ear, some are an eye, some are a toe, some are a knee. But we're all a part of this amazing thing called the body of Christ. And and you have a function that's a little different than mine, but we're all connected. And praise God, we're connected to the head, Jesus Christ. And so the way God works is through his people. Ephesians 1 really touches on this when it says, and he put all things, this is, and he, the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Did you catch that? He could have just said, I give him head over all things, and he doesn't need anybody. He's going to work regardless of the church. He, he's not going to be connected to the body, but he doesn't. He says, to the church. And then look at how it just fleshes this out. Which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. That's just crazy. Meditate on this, you guys. That, in other words, the way he fills all in all is through you and me. How does he fill the UGA campus through a Christian college student? How does he fill and come into that place of work that you go to every day? Through you. How does he fill and bring his presence to the racetrack gas station through you when you go fill up? And you can be a light to the workers there. (laughs) How does he work through, how does he work to fill up Athens through Living Hope, Cornerstone, and all these other churches where God's people get released? We come here to get filled and empowered and taught, and we go out to our mission field where God starts filling this place and that place through you, through me. What a privilege. What a privilege. And so you think about all these analogies, these metaphors that are used. The bride of Christ. The body of Christ. The flock of God. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. The the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. Every one of those metaphors, if you really look at them, touch on two key things. Closeness and connection and commission. Closeness, connection, intimacy, and then, and then a commission to go do something. So the body, we have to stay connected to the head. We have to get our, our directions from the brain. We have to have the flow of blood going through us and have this incredible close connection. But then we also are to do something. Use your hands. Walk with your feet. Speak with your mouth. So it's, it's intimacy and it's a commission. Now listen, if, if, if you have been hurt, if you've been wounded by the church or by leaders, there, is a, there can be a season in which you need, just like an athlete, our football illustration, in which you, you're injured and you need a season to just rest and recover and heal. If one of our running backs tears his ACL, we don't require him to go out and run the next play. We say, dude, you need some surgery, you need some rehab, you need to rest. And there's a place for that. During our question and answer time, after the service, this came up, but I'll address it now, is, is there can be a place for a believer who's been wounded and hurt by the church or by a Christian to have a season where they just recover, and it's not a time for them to serve, but that's the exception, and just make sure that you are truly healing and getting over that issue that maybe has held you back. Don't use it as an excuse to tune out. Or do the, do, the, do, the, do the hunting stand Christianity. I just worship God in the deer stand on Sunday morning. Yeah, just me and Jesus. Man, I worship God out in that deer stand. Oh, I feel so close to God. I don't need that church stuff. Them are a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, have you ever heard that? 
the church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, that's where they ought to be, actually. Now, we don't want to keep, they don't want to stay hypocrites, but I'd rather the hypocrites be in church than, than, than away from the church because this is the place to get healed. Okay? So the Holy Spirit works through the church. And finally, why the church? We need it. <laughs> we need her. We need the church. And, I, and we talked about this in Romans 13. There are four insti- biblical institutions of authority that God has set in place. The family, the church, the government, and places of work or employment where there is authority for our protection and provision. Now, can authority figures get off base? And Yeah, but they're under God's authority, and we pray that God brings a change of their heart. But the family, the church, the government, and places of work or employment are the four places biblically, this is all found in Ephesians 5 and 6 and Romans 13, where there is to be a structure, and, and as it relates to the church, we need to be under this umbrella We need the church for teaching, for correct doctrine, for encouragement, for corporate worship, a place to participate in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, a place of of, of holding us accountable. And, And if we get out from under that authority, we are more susceptible to the enemy. You are more prone to Satan's attack when you get out from under that umbrella. And this goes for every one of those other three institutions that God has set in place. So, we need the church for that encouragement, support, for growth, even for discipline if necessary, so that if I get out of line, I want one of you to speak to that in my life. If I start straying and I start compromising and I start getting off base and I quit getting into the Word and praying and I'm, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm starting to drift spiritually, I would hope that I have some relationships under this umbrella of provision and protection that will call me out in love and say, David, come on, brother, I love you too much to let you get away with that. So that is part of the function, and that's why we need it. So now turn to Acts chapter 2 and Hebrews 10. Acts chapter 2 gives us what I believe is some of the most uh, solid framework that a church can aim for. Are we going to flesh this out maybe a little different than they did then? Yes. This is the only, only two accounts in Acts 2 where it says they sold everything they owned. So this isn't like every person has to sell everything they own the, the day they get saved. This was a unique way that God worked, and we see it again in Acts 4, but you don't see it anymore after that. But are we to be generous and willing to give up everything we have? Yes, because it belongs to Jesus. But in Acts 2, we find some amazing principles of what a church should look like. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to anyone as he had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, that's like we're doing now, and breaking bread in their homes, that'd be small groups and homebodies, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I long to see this more and more. I don't know about you. Now Hebrews chapter 10. You see that church attendance is not a new problem. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10. And this isn't meant to be some legalistic thing. It's meant to be in the spirit of we need this. 
We need this. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Ooh, there you have it. Problem then, problem now. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that's the day of Christ's return, drawing near. So we see here that we need the church. Now, with all that I've said so far, I want you to hear from some of the greats of the faith. Listen to what St. Augustine said concerning the church. He cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Whoa. Now, I was hoping this question would have been asked during Q&A today, but I'm going to ask it now. Can you be saved and not be a part of a local church? Yes. Obviously, being in a local church is not a requirement to being saved. You become a part of the body of Christ when you get saved. But I would say if you claim to be saved and are not a part of a body, a local church, you are missing out on part of what God has for you. John Calvin said this, So highly does the Lord esteem the communion of his church that he considers everyone a traitor and an apostate who perversely withdraws himself from any Christian society which preserves the true ministry of the word and sacraments. Watchman Nee, the purpose of God is to establish Christ, not just the personal Christ, but also the corporate Christ, which is the church. And Chuck Colson, who wrote these two amazing books, The Body and Being the Body, he was the guy, by the way, that worked for uh, President Nixon and was involved in the Watergate scandal, spent time in prison, got saved, and became really a theologian, a great theologian. And he said this, if we don't grasp the intrinsically corporate nature of Christianity, and we're not talking about a corporation, Talking about a corporate meaning, a, a body, the communal aspect of Christianity. The corporate nature of Christianity embodied in the church, we're missing the very heart of Jesus' plan. So, beloved, how do you view the church? Do you love the local church, or do you just tend to look at all the wrinkles in her dress? Do you value the church the way Jesus does? Because if Jesus values the church, if Jesus created this, if Jesus ordained this, if Jesus gave his blood for this, which he did, then should we not love the local church? Despite all of her flaws, to love what God loves. And where do you maybe need to alter your view and your commitment to it? The church. And this isn't about living hope today. If you, only, if you knew how many people I have said, sitting in my office, and, and as they told me what they're looking for in a local church, what they need at this point in their life, and, and maybe what they, where they feel they can, I always say this, where can you grow the most and serve the most effectively? And if they say things that I go, you know, honestly, that's not who we are, uh, probably this church here would be better for you. I've done that many times, because I want people where God wants them. We're not claiming to be the all-in-all all or the best church. We got strengths, we got weaknesses. And so if somebody shares with me something that I go, you know, honestly, probably this is going to be a better fit over here. I'm more than happy to bless them and, and release them. And that's a healthy kind of conversation. So what constitutes a legitimate church? Number one, it holds to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we're talking the Trinity. We're talking the deity of Christ. We're talking his blood atonement. We're talking his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. If a church doesn't teach those basics... It's not a legitimate church. 
And you need to know how to distinguish this because you will have these people knocking at your door, wanting to share with you, claiming to be the one and only or the greatest or part of the 144,000. It'll happen. And so you need to know. You say, well, give me a biblical basis for the separation. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> right in this very chapter, he called out this pe- these people who were misleading the naive. He says they're, they're straying from the doctrine, from the teachings of the gospel that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That's the gospel. And the church had drifted in the first 1,500 years to where Martin Luther needed to come forth and and bring correction. He He didn't intend to leave the Roman Catholic Church. He wanted to bring reform to the Roman Catholic Church because they were teaching salvation by works. And they were teaching that the Pope had supreme authority. And they were elevating the Pope as equal to Scripture. And he saw these things, and as a monk, he said, that's wrong. That's wrong. I must speak out. And he did, and they kicked him out. And that led to the Protestant Reformation. Study church history. We are a part of that great Protestant Reformation where, we, where there, there had to be a break because the church of Rome at that time was getting off on key essentials. And this is why in Galatians 1, Paul said, if they preach to you any gospel other than what we've preached, let them be accursed. That's heavy, that's strong language. That literally means anathema. It literally means go to H-E double toothpicks. So if, if anybody preaches to you a gospel contrary to the essential gospel of Jesus Christ, he spoke out. He was not unwilling to call it out. And in, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, they come and they preach to you another Jesus. Oh, they're using the name of Jesus. Well, isn't that our Jesus? Not necessarily. Check it out. And we're not sitting here saying we need to go on a witch hunt, but we do need to be discerning, beloved. Okay? Because this is one of the ways the enemy will work in the end times, is to lead people astray. This is why you need to be in a church that preaches the Word of God. Uncompromising. So that's number two. A legitimate church preaches the Word of God. This is why 90% of the time we're going to be in a book of the Bible. Because preaching through books of the Bible keeps us honest. It keeps us, it keeps us, it keeps us anchored. It keeps us off of our little hobby horses that are so easy to get off on. And I know this as a pastor. It's easy to just preach what's easy for me or what's convenient or what's kind of my hot spots. No, we're going to preach through books of the Bible where we see it in the context and we help people stay grounded. Paul told the young pastor Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the word. Number three, a legitimate church worships God and administers the sacraments. That's the Lord's Supper and baptism. You need to be baptized. We're going to have baptisms next Sunday. Calvin and Luther and other reformers, this was one of their big things. Preaches the word, administers the sacraments. Number four, engages in evangelism and discipleship. Winning lost people to Christ, helping people grow. Equipping the saints. Helping people grow into maturity, not just keeping them babies in Christ. And by the way, this is a good point to just say, this is, this is very important that you understand the difference between a local church that we're talking about now and a parachurch group. Parachurch groups, I love them. Man, God uses them. I was a part of crew when I was in college here. Navigators, Wesley, these are parachurch groups. And they specialize, but they're not a local church, and they'll say that. We, don't, we are not a local church. But we are an extension, Bill Bryant, founder and president of crew, said, We're an arm of the local church. 
we are here to specialize in an area that maybe the local church isn't able to, to give as much attention to, in their case, college ministry. Or the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It's all about evangelism, but they'll say, we're not a church. We come under the umbrella of a church. Franklin Graham will be the first to say, I come under the umbrella of my local church. And I love this about guys like Dustin. You know, he's on staff with the Navigators. And Mark Summerall and, and Rich Saplita and his ministry, they come under our umbrella. That's for protection. That's for accountability. That's for structure. Because they're doing something maybe in a specialized area that the church is not able to do. So we bless that. We send them out. We help support them and pray for them. Number five, and this is key, is led by elders. Now you may call them overseers or presbytery or deacons, but they're really biblical elders. Whatever the term, it's a, it's a plurality. Notice that it says in Timothy, appoint elders, plural, in every town. This is key. Senior pastor should never be the sole elder. He should never be the sole authority. I am a part of our elders here. I'm one of the elders. And if I lead us or start preaching stuff that's off base, I pray our elders say, hey, Holt, what are you doing, dude? Come on, man. What are you teaching that junk for? Or if I begin to slip in my walk with God, they need to hold me accountable. And I've said this before. I am one of the elders here. I don't, I'm not the sole authority. And, and, and I will submit to my elders if they feel that I'm headed us leading in a direction that it shouldn't be. And so that plurality of elders is important. And another little note here, the word elder literally means somebody who's older. Okay, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but if it sticks, if the shoe fits, wear it. Ten college students meeting in a dorm is not a church. Ten 22-year-old college students meeting in a dormitory for a house church or a Bible study, that's not a church. Can God use it? Yes. And if they'll come under the umbrella of a local church, they'll be more anointed and used than they ever thought they would be. But a group of 10, 22-year-olds can't have biblical elders. You just can't. And the reason God set this in place was so that older, more mature believers could help guide the younger who could easily be led astray and they're younger in their faith just because of their age they're going to be younger. Now, it doesn't mean every elder has to be 75 or older. I wouldn't qualify. But it does mean there needs to be maturity, seasoned veteran of the faith, Mature in doctrine and life so that the church isn't led astray by strange things or every wind of doctrine, okay? So this is important. I've seen some very zealous young people, great hearts, but sometimes they get, they get out on these tangents. And there's a modern house church movement that, for the most part, I'm actually pretty excited about. I think the Spirit of God's in it. But one of my concerns about this modern house church movement is sometimes it's these really overly, it's kind of zeal without knowledge. It's zealous young people that, that, that kind of feel like, man, the lo, my, you know, there's no local church really doing it. We're going to do it better. And they kind of sometimes have a little bit of an attitude. And that's not all bad either, okay? Paul had an attitude. <laughs> but, 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 it, but it was spirit controlled. And so it's, it's this idea in, in some of these young, overly zealous movements that we're going to do it better. And we don't need the structured local church. And so they can get into a little bit of a rebellious spirit if they're not careful. And so what I say to these groups, and I've said it to some even locally here, that are kind of wrestling with this. this they love the house church movement, um, but, and they don't really know what to do. And I say, look, come under our umbrella. Because we can do things that, that can keep you from having to worry about those things. 
Because let me tell you, if you are a true house church, you're going to eventually come up against people who need counseling. Are you qualified to do that? We are. We've got a counselor here, okay? And you're going to come up with benevolent requests, people that can't pay a light bill and they're struggling, they lost their job. and they're, So what are you going to do? I'll you know, commune your money and give it to them. Well, that'll work for a while, but I'll tell you it won't work for long. So if you come under our umbrella, we've got a benevolent fund. We've got a structure. We've got policies. We can help care for those needs to take that off of you so you can focus on what you're really strong on, and that's evangelism and discipleship. So this can really be a win-win if you'll, be, if you'll consider this. Because we're more than happy if you come under our umbrella and we can work out how this all works. We would be more than happy to release you. Call yourself a house church, that's fine. I don't care the term. And, 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 but it's a house movement that's reaching people that we aren't reaching here. Hallelujah. Who wouldn't be for that? And again, I, I call it temple church and house church. This is the temple church, Acts 2, and then you've got these house movements. So I think it can work together, and we want to protect you from things that you probably aren't mature enough to handle right now. That's not a criticism. It's just the fact of the matter. And if you let us handle some things that, that we are equipped to handle, then you can be more released to do the work that God's called you to do. Number six, exercises protection and discipline. So again, this is that umbrella to protect. And then Matthew 18 Nobody likes this, but it's necessary. Church discipline. Fortunately, very few churches do this anymore. They're kind of chicken. But you need to. You have to. Because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. What warrants church discipline? Church discipline is when you have to confront somebody or a group because they could potentially bring disruption to that body. Teaching wrong doctrine, causing division, overt moral sin. Those are the three things the scriptures talk about you have to discipline. If somebody's causing division, if somebody is, um, what was the second? Doctrine, they're, they're, okay, Do doctrinal uh, aberration, causing division, or serious moral sin. Those are the three things biblically that, that the elders are called to step in and bring loving discipline, lest it cause a bad effect on the rest of the body. That's one of the the final component of a legitimate church. All right, before we go to Q&A, how are we to respond? What should be our response to all this? Number one, be committed to a local church. Be involved. Be committed to a local church. Attend regularly. Become a member. Develop relationships. Get involved beyond just the Sunday morning. Get in a small group where you can connect with others. You know, David Platt says his biggest regret in, was that in college he never got plugged into a local church. He was only involved in a parachurch group. And I can say firsthand my experience. I was involved in crew, but I was also an active member at Watkinsville First Baptist when I was a college student here in the late 70s. And what happens is if, you're only, if a college student is only involved in a parachurch group, when they graduate, many times they drift all together because they don't have after college what they had in college. But if they're involved in a local church, they'll be a local church after college. So it's so important to be connected. Number two, serve in a local church. Don't just come to receive and be a spectator. Serve. Use your gifts. God can use you to do things that, that others can't do. He's uniquely wired you. This is why that Enneagram that Courtney's doing is so powerful. 
learning your God wiring. And then you get the Holy Spirit connected with that God wiring. It's, an, it's a powerful combustion of spiritual energy. Use your gifts. Serve. You know, we have an illustration of this in the Holy Land. Perfect illustration. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Both bodies of water have inflow from the Jordan River. But only one has outflow. Sea of Galilee, thus it's full of life. Dead Sea has no outflow, outflow therefore it's dead. And if all you do is receive and never give out, you're not going to reach your full potential. Now again, seasons of rest and healing when needed, yes. But for the most part, God wants you to have both inflow and outflow. And I don't want this church to be one where people burn out because they're doing too much because others aren't stepping up. So you go to our app and you look at that serve in the church section. It gives a whole bunch of things that you can express interest in to serve here. Number three. This is going to seem weird, so hang with me. Grow through the hard times. And by that I mean this. Listen closely. Like I said earlier, the church is full of imperfect people. And what happens, and I've learned this from Jerry Kaiser, hurt people hurt people. Do you get that? When you've been hurt and you've got unhealed issues, you're more likely to hurt others. Well, let's look at our mission statement over here. Salvation to the lost, healing to the hurting. Oh, so you're inviting. You're actually saying you want to be a place that invites hurting people? Yeah, kind of like Jesus. He said he came to set the captives free. Okay, we don't want to be a museum for saints. We want to be a hospital for sinners. Come on. So if we're going to be a hospital, hospitals are messy. Hospitals have blood on the floor. Hospitals do surgery. Hospitals have people crying out in pain. Hospitals are just messy. But that's what the church is to be, right? I mean, a real New Testament church. A church that says, we welcome hurting people. It's kind of, it's risky. I'm telling you, it's risky. It'd be easier to just say, we only want the altogether perfect people, or at least if you're not, just pretend you are on Sundays, because we don't want to mess with any you know, blood and guts and surgeries and broken bones. I mean, we could do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to heaven and have that on my past with pastors. So we're saying we're willing to be a healing center for hurting people. Thus, hurt people hurt people. So if you come to Living Hope, you're signing up for pain. <laughs> if you come to Living Hope, guess what you're going to run into? Hurting people. And what do hurting people do? They hurt people. Well, you might be one that they, that, that they hurt. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't true, but it's going to be that way. But guess what? That's actually where you grow. You say, what? Yeah. No pain, no gain. No test, no testimony. And so hurt means if you don't cut and run, you can grow. But here's what happens, unfortunately. Somebody hurts me. <laughs> I'm hurt. I'm going to leave. That old mean church living hope. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's what happens all the time, doesn't it? Let's not be that. Let's be a church that you just go in knowing I'm going to get hurt, but guess what? I'm going to grow through that hurt. I'm going to cling to Jesus. I'm going to work out that conflict. Maybe we have to agree to disagree. Guess what? Paul and Barnabas couldn't get along. They couldn't. Read it in Acts. I think it's 20 or 21. They parted ways. Paul and Barnabas. So if those two dudes couldn't get along, and they were leaders, 
who, who are we to think that we're going to be problem-free when it comes to relationships? And so we're going to have conflict. We're going to have hurt. You're going to get, you're just going to have hurt, but grow through it. Hang in there. Don't cut and run. What was your quote this week, Jerry? We were talking about this. Hold on. I wrote it down. I do occasionally look at my notes. Church jumpers never grow. Oh. Preach it, Jerry. Church jumpers never grow. See, what you're doing, you're just avoiding the pain, and I get it, that's your flesh, but that's not your spirit. Your flesh wants to cut and run, jump, take off, criticize them. Because see, what? here's what it is. When we criticize them, it's a, it's a, it's a subtle form of pride. Because if I can criticize them, those horrible Christians, that horrible church, then it makes me feel okay about my mess. And so I'm not going to deal with my mess because they're, such, they're so screwed up. Be careful. Because what does the Bible say? He who is without sin casts first stone. Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive as you've been forgiven. So relational conflict is often the very thing God wants to use to grow us up. And what better place to have it than the church? <laughs> I hate to say it that way. But it's just like a marriage. We're talking about the bride, right? We're the bride of Christ. Couples have conflict. <laughs> and all the married people said, yes. But if you hang in there and forgive and talk and work it out, you grow. Final point. It's not on the notes, but I've added it in the shower this morning. Number four. <laughs> I know, really, I'm, it's Sunday morning. God just gives me new stuff. Love Jesus the most. I'm like, how did I not cover that? So look to the head. Love Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Know that Christ and only Christ can meet your needs like no one else can. He loves you more than anyone. It doesn't mean you divorce yourself from the body. But ultimately, love Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Whew, I'm tired. Why did my dad call me in the middle of the service? Seriously, 20 minutes ago, I got a call from my dad. I hope he's not losing it. No, he's not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so you can text the question, or you can uh, hold up your hand. We've got a couple people to take mics around. We'll wipe them afterwards with the alcohol. So just raise your hand if you have a question. And as, you're, as, you're, as you guys are taking those around, uh, a question asked in first service that is definitely worth repeating. What is a legitimate reason to leave a church? Isn't that good? Okay, because I've said to hang in there, hang in there, you know, and all that. But is there a place where it's biblical? What's a valid biblical reason to leave a church? Three things. Doctrinal, if they drift from the essentials of the gospel. Confront the leadership, but eventually you might go, man, I can't endorse this. Second would just be practical. So doctrinal, second is practical. Maybe, you know, you need a place with a vibrant children's ministry, and that church just isn't there yet. They're just not, they just don't have that. So you, it might just be a practical thing that we need to be at a place where, where uh, they have this and, and, and because of where we're at and that church doesn't. And then another third reason to leave might be a conscience issue. They're getting too political or 
their stand on moral issues like abortion or gay marriage are such that I just can't. It's not an essential for salvation, but it's pretty, pretty important to me. And it kind of reflects how they view Scripture, so I just can't stand for that. But again, you never leave, listen, without talking to the leadership, communicating to the leadership, praying about it, and making sure that you're leaving in the spirit, not the flesh. So doctrinal, practical, or matters of the conscience. Yes. What's up, Pastor? Um, I had wanted to meet with you, and I've been coming to your church because of, of my fire chief. I grew up in a holiness church, and I'm thinking about joining this church, and I still hope to sit down with you. Yep. But I do want to leave in the right spirit. Yes. What would be the difference in the doctrine beliefs that I'm coming from a holiness church, yeah. the non-denominational church? Very few differences. I'd have to look at that specific holiness church's doctrines because they can vary even within the holiness churches. Um, uh, so I'd have to see that, but I doubt on the essentials there's much difference. It might be more in matters of practice. Because I know some holiness churches, it's, it's um, I'm not saying that they're legalistic, but there's some that tend to put a big focus on external appearance and matters of holiness, which is awesome, but they can sometimes they can drift into... You know, like, you know, you can't go to a movie. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, some of that's like, well, okay, where is that in Scripture? I understand the principle, yeah. you know, taking every thought captive, but let's be careful we don't create a doctrine around something that's more of a preference. Yeah. And so I can see you're resonating with some of that. So that would be, that's more matters of practice than, say, doctrine. I'll bet we're probably dead in line on the major doctrinal issues. Yeah. One of the things I, I really was impressed with, like, you in, engage in everyone. I love what you just said. A lot of times the holiness church, because they don't want to add, they're afraid that something may be taken away or added to, that they exclude sometimes the, mm -hmm. the, the very hospital of a church, the yes. really the, the, the nitty-gritty yes. and getting like you nasty and dirty. Yeah. So I, I want to get dirty and help some people. Yeah, Love it. Love it, brother. Amen. And by the way, I, I hope those of you that have known me long – I, I want to be a unity guy. I mean, I, I, I'm always asked about certain churches in this area that might be in a... Anyway, man, I, I want to be, and I want us to be a, a church that always speaks as well of other churches as we can. You know? They're reaching... This, this is the answer I give a lot of times to churches. Even if they're doing things that maybe I personally don't think are biblical even or agree with, I say, you know what? They're reaching people I'm not reaching. May God bless them. And I want to be a church that, that is, we see as much positive as we can in other true tr churches. Now, if it's a cult, that's a different story. And we've talked about that today. Yes. Hey, Pastor. Um, you talked a little bit about how, uh, you talked about house churches, which is addressed in this chapter. And I had two questions about that. Um, you mentioned, you know, like 10, 12 college students in a dorm doesn't house a church. Um, one question I had, could you address Timothy? Um, you know, Timothy was a, a man of youth and was appointed by Paul to be an elder. Paul even encourages him not to let people, you know, dissuade him from leading because of his youth. So could you address that in particular? And then two, this isn't really relevant for Athens, but Ann and I, we were, we were just in Seattle. Uh, we saw very few churches. So like in a context where in other parts of this country or in other countries where there aren't a huge availability of local churches. Yeah. You know, what would you recommend in that situation where there isn't an abundance of local churches and there's people, maybe they're young, you know, who are meeting together uh, as a church? Yeah. You know, just address those two things. Okay. Do the best you can where you're at. 
And I do think there's extra grace from God in settings that are new or just starting. You know, so on the mission field, for example, you, you maybe can't have all six of these right away, but you want to strive for these six points of a legitimate church. And so I think there's an issue of it's, it, there's a formational piece where a new movement is forming. And some of these house churches in other countries, you know, they're forming. They don't have a, a, a six-pointed legitimate church, if you want to call it that, to put themselves under. And I say, that's fine. There's tons of grace there as long as they're working toward that. And so like with, you know, Timothy being a young, don't look, even look down on your youthfulness. Um, man, the church was emerging at that point. And so I think as much as possible, you want to have more mature believers as the elders, but you do the best you can with what you have. So I hope that helps. You know, the cool thing about the Lord is he's so full of grace, and it's not like a one-size-fits-all. These are principles that we should strive for, but, but if you want to say there's exceptions within the Spirit to some of this because God is always on the move, <laughs> and God's doing new things. And you take a family. Man, when we had four young kids and we were about to pull our hair out as parents, you know, that's a whole different scenario in the whole family than it is now. We're empty nesters. We've trained our kids. We've released them. So we're at a different place, and we're the family of God. And so the family shifts and matures and grows. This is more a statement than a question. Um, you and I talked about this some a little bit. I just feel I need to say this for someone who may have been hurt by the church. As someone who has been hurt by a church as a pastor mm. and a layperson, mm. don't give up on her. Amen. That's good. I don't know why, but God gave me a heart for his church, his bride. I am hurt when people bash her, when they don't. Uh, fully understand her and realize that we are broken people and we can only come together to heal each other mm. by laying some of that down. Mm. Mm. That's good, brother. So please, please set aside some of your hurt. And, mm. I, and, I, and I know that's hard because mm -hmm. I've been there, done that. I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done. But if you truly love Jesus, mm -hmm. you'll love her church, his That's church. Good. That's good, bro. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, some of, I feel led to, some of you listening online, I mean, there may be some in the room as well, but some of you listening online, you know, one of the things that God may have for you today is to leave your baggage of excuse. Really, drop your baggage of excuse. You've had this excuse that you've carried around for years because of what someone or this church did to you. And that was a legit sin, and it grieved God even more than it grieved you. And, and but, but you can't keep holding on to that baggage of excuse because you know who is holding back? You. It's not holding back them. They don't even know where you're at now. Hate to say it, probably they don't care, and that's bad, but they've not come after you to ask forgiveness, right? And so it's only weighting you down, and it's, it's hindering you from entering into the destiny that God has for you. Don't let the enemy keep doing that to you. Get healing. We're here for you, man. I'll listen to you all day long if you need to just emotionally vomit it out. And I've done this publicly. I've done this with racism. I'll do it now with church. If Where the church or a pastor has hurt you, I'm sorry. 
please forgive us, the church, the leaders who have hurt you. On their behalf, I'm asking your forgiveness to maybe help you release them. Because we have, we as leaders, there's a book called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. I know the author. Powerful book about how leaders use their position of authority to abuse people. I'm not just talking priests that have abused boys in that way. I'm talking about uh, leaders that have been overly controlling, manipulative. You know, they're on a power trip and they want you to call them by all these titles and all that stuff. And so th there is this thing called the subtle power of spiritual abuse. It's terrible. And on behalf of leaders who've done that, I repent so that it'll help you forgive. Okay. Um, thank you for uh, talking about <coughs> thank you for talking about this, uh, particularly for the fact that um, for a lot of us that have grown up in, in the Bible Belt, there are a lot of churches and a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different traditions that are, can be thrown around. But what would you say to Christians who may be too picky coming into a church? Too picky? Yeah, like, yeah. They, have, like they have their bullet list already. Gotcha, like that's I good. Yeah. All right, I got a great recommendation. Perfect lead-in, and then we'll close with this. Worship team, come on up. I've written a track called Selecting the Right Church. <laughs> they almost all got taken after first service. There's a few more at the tables as you leave. But I just give some principles to look for in selecting the right church, but all along knowing you're not going to find the perfect one. And so do the best you can with what you have, but then more importantly than even that, be a person that makes that church better. I had a third grade English teacher, and it was a corny little slogan, but it's got a good point, so don't laugh. If every student were just like me, what kind of class would this be? If every par person at Living Hope were just like me, what kind of church would Living Hope be? Ooh. So in other words, you go in knowing that she has strengths and weaknesses, but it's like, man, I want to make her better. These guys are making our worship better, right? I'm so grateful for them. Those folks in the back are making our online experience better. I'm so grateful for them. The people who are going to be leading our Wednesday night classes are making our discipleship better. I'm so thankful for them. The staff God is calling together. The elders that God has assembled here. The Fresh Wind Ministry. It's helping our church be better. I'm so thankful for them. And so be a part of the solution not a person who compounds the problem. Be a person who makes living hope better. The beautiful bride that he died for. And not a person who makes the church worse and is a part of that criticism that we always hear, full of hypocrites. Father, we just thank and praise you for your beautiful bride. Help us see the church the way you do. Help us value her the way you do. Help us repair the wedding dress when there's a slice in it or a stain on it. Help us draw near to you as our groom that we love you and worship you. Serve you with joy. Serve the Lord with gladness. God, would you make here at Living Hope a body that is passionate about you and loves each other and gets in there and gets their hands dirty and works out relational conflict and even in love says, brother, 
I love you enough to say, I think you're getting off center here. Oh, God, could we be that? Could we be that? With your power and your presence and your word. If you're here today or listening online and you've never invited Christ in your life or you're not sure you're saved, receive him now. Just say, Lord, I open the door of my life. Come in and take control. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Get saved right now. Why would you wait? This is why you were created, to know God. Jesus died to pay for your sins. Receive him now. I implore you, be reconciled to God. He longs for you. He knocks at the door of your heart. Open the door. Let him in. And you'll be amazed at what he'll do. Christian, what is God saying to you today? Where does there need to be a, an adjustment in your heart toward the church? Where do you need healing? Where do you need to get more engaged? Where do you need to serve? Where do you need to say, you know what, I've been on the sidelines, I've been in the grandstands, I've been, I need to get on the field. And I don't want to ride the bench. Man, I want to be out there. I want to be on the starting team. Special teams, defense, offense, return coverage. Here I am, God. I'm ready to put that uniform on. <laughs> Lord, give me an assignment, and I'll do it with your power.